All right, everyone. Welcome to episode 81 of the Performance Advantage podcast. This is the first time I think that I'm doing the intro because Will couldn't make it today. And I'm so used to him doing the intro. Hopefully this one goes over smoothly. But today, actually, so today is, we're talking about strength training with Bike James, James Wilson from MTB Strength Training Systems. I was on James's podcast. We met a few weeks ago, but I've actually known about James for a really long time. And I know he's been doing, he focuses on strength training uh, for mountain bikers. But if you're a runner, if you are an ultra runner, If you are a road cyclist, don't tune out just yet because I think basically everything that we talk about is applicable to you. So what we do uh, with James is we go through um, kind of how his origin story. He's been at this for a really long time. And then we talk about we actually get into a lot of isometric training, which is something that um, I've done. And I can say that with my athletes, we've, we've failed a few times at doing some of these isometric movements and we get into that. And then we get into actually some easy things that you can do to get stronger. And we're not talking about getting stronger to get bigger or getting stronger to look great on the beach. We're talking about getting stronger to be a better human. And actually, that's what this is all about. That's what we talk about today. So if we talk about getting better at performance, it's from the scope and the view of trying to be a better and healthier human. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode with James Wilson. If you want to learn more about James, there are links in the show notes below. So he's got all kinds of programs available. And I'm totally fine sharing that because I think what he's doing is really cool. So you can check that out in the links in the show notes. And here is James Wilson. James, yes. thanks for coming on the show. Dude, my pleasure, man. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, and talk with you again, man. I had a lot of fun on our podcast, so looking forward to some more, uh, some some good conversation, man. I actually learned quite a bit. Had some good aha moments last time we talked. So uh, yeah, glad to come on on yours. Yeah, I actually got so many messages after being on your podcast. Um, people are like, hey, I heard you on the Bike James podcast. Um, awesome. You know, we're they're asking questions about breaking, and then obviously, like the timing worked out great because we launched the Kickstarter yeah. soon after your podcast came out. So I put it on the page as well. Um, awesome. So lots of people have been seeing it, and pretty exciting. So it cuts through um, some of the misconceptions, and I don't have to like write it all out within the Kickstarter. Yeah, so that yeah, ended yeah, up being man. Pretty good. No, I'm glad. I'm glad I could help out because yeah, I like what you're doing. Anything I can do to support it, and pumped to to help. So glad I could help. Yeah, likewise. And you know, I've been seeing you on the scene for a long time so i've been riding (laughs) you know i've been riding for probably 20 years right i I was a kid when i started but once i started racing and training i remember seeing your name and this would have been like early 2000s yeah is that right like how long have you been doing this yeah i mean well i started mountain biking in in 2000 and so interestingly about 20 years so um but i i was uh 24 or 23 at the time and so i actually got into mountain biking a little backwards you know i i was living in santa barbara and i was working for a company that certified personal trainers and i was uh the you know parking in downtown santa barbara was and still is really atrocious and so i decided to get a bike because i was close enough to ride to work and so i go to the bike shop and i'm looking for a bike and i see a mountain bike and i was kind of familiar with them uh but i hadn't ridden bikes in forever but i knew that a mountain bike looked more like a bmx bike and a road bike looked kind of weenie to me and so i was like well i'll take the mountain bike uh thing it was a, a marin nail trail thing it was like freaking fireball orange and champagne man and uh 
I, you know, so I, I rode that thing around and one day I got bored and I decided to go pedal up and down a fire road, uh, you know, that was there behind Santa Barbara. And I didn't realize that Santa Barbara had some of the best mountain bike trails in the country. And so, but I just went up this fire road and turned around and came back down and, and I was hooked. I was like, holy crap, this is the funnest thing ever. You know, I'd, I'd done uh, cross country and tracks. So I like that endurance side of it, but then you turn it around and you get that adrenaline side of it. And I, you know, I tell people, man, if an endurance sport and an action sport, got drunk one night and got it on and they had a baby, it'd be mountain bike. It's this really unique blend of these two uh, elements. And so I was hooked. Uh, and so coming from track and having you know a, a background as a trainer, one of the first things I started to do is look at how do I get better at mountain biking through strength and conditioning. And back in 2000, there was really nothing. I mean, you had Joe Friel's mountain bike training Bible and you know, no offense. I know Joe's got a lot of great ideas, but you know, three sets of 10 on the leg press, leg extension and leg curl. Uh, I wouldn't rank up there with the, the best of them. You know, I, I looked at that and recognized real quickly, oh, this is bodybuilding, you know, BS in disguise. It, you know, the, it, you know, back in the day, again, people forget before functional training, like bodybuilding was strength training, like everything was bodybuilding. And so there was a transition period where the, the training methods of athletes became more popularized. And so I was just a little bit ahead of that that trend. I had been introduced to this idea of functional training and, and training more like an athlete uh, in the late 90s. And so when I got into mountain biking, I, I recognized oh, the, what was going on there. And so I started applying some of the things that I knew uh, from, you know, my own experience and, and, you know, research and stuff like, you know, how an athlete trains. And so I started applying that and I could, you know, see improvements and I started, you know, having a couple riding buddies work out with me and they started seeing improvements. And so I started picking up a few clients here and there. And so finally in 2005, I, I was, uh, I remember sitting in my living room in Tyler, Texas going, huh, I wonder if there'll be other people that would be interested in this stuff. And so I, I put up a, a website and I still don't know where those first newsletter subscribers came from. But one day I had newsletter subscribers and I'm like, holy crap, I better put something out. And so I put out my first newsletter. I think it was on grip training or something like that. And again, this is back in 2005 and I've been putting out content weekly ever since then. So for like the last 16 years um, and as, as part of that journey, I had the good fortune to, um, I met, uh, well, Rich Hausman, who's an old, uh, Norba four cross dual slalom, uh, champ. Um, I had a chance to work with him and then he was the guy who discovered Aaron Gwynn and, you know, the legend has it. Aaron shows up at this, you know, downhill race in, in Fontana, which is where a lot of, uh, top pros go to train in the winter. And so this guy shows up in like cut off jean shorts and a flannel shirt and, you know, enters the pro class and gets third which is just unheard of. And so uh, Rich um, recognized like, wow, this guy's special. And so took him under his wing. And as part of that, he reached out to me because he knew that I knew what I was talking about when it came to training mountain bikers and not just training them like road cyclists. And so I got uh, hooked up with Aaron Gwynn and got a chance to work with him like before anybody knew who he was. So I was working with him um, when he got signed with Yeti and then worked with him through his time uh, with Yeti. And through that, I had the opportunity to write for, you know, really any, every website out there. You know, I, I wrote for Pink Bike for quite a while. Like, I mean, four plus years, I did a monthly uh, article for them. I wrote for Decline Mag magazine, if anybody remembers that uh, awesome publication. You know, I've had articles on NSMB and I don't know if I think I might have had one on Vital. 
uh, single tracks. You know, honestly, it, it gave me the opportunity to uh, to, to you know get in, onto a lot of platforms. So yeah, around you know you know between 2007 2010, um, you know that was when I really had those opportunities and I, I took advantage of those. And so yeah, a lot of a lot of people who were riding back then um, remember me. As the uh, as the mountain bike strength training guy and the uh, the flat pedal guy is my other uh, thing that people know me for. But um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I'm at. But yeah, I've been I've been around doing this for quite a while. It's funny I had somebody share one of my posts and said something about like some great advice from an old school mountain biker, and I was like, holy shit, that me <laughs> like I'm an old school mountain biker. You know what I mean? Like I just don't think of myself as an old school mountain biker. But then I think about it, I'm like, dude, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. So you know, for someone who's been doing it for 10 years, like I'm, you know that's a long time and I'm still, you know, so yeah, one day you wake up, man, you've been doing this for a while. So it's been, uh, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I've, I've actually had to start considering myself an old school rider, you know, cause mm-hmm. I remember when we were riding 26 inch wheels, 1.8 tires and V brakes. Oh yeah. That was my <laughs> first race bike. And no one would touch any of that now. No. Um, yeah. So I have to consider myself old school. And, uh, you know, if you've been riding for 20 years, that means you have to as well. You yeah. remember 26 inch wheels. They were not. Oh cool. yeah, man. <laughs> no, nah, man, they were, I, I think I still have a, uh, an old, uh, Cove G spot, um, 26 inch bike, man. I like taking that thing out on the trail and, and, you know, I'll, I'll say like, everything's got pluses and minuses. Right. Mm, and yeah. I, I think that, that, um, you know, if you came up with 26 inch wheels, you learn how to make the most out of them. You know what I mean? When we were riding yeah. them, we didn't think they sucked. No, they felt You know awesome. what I mean? Yeah, it was great. It wasn't until we got a chance to feel bigger wheels. And even then it took them a while to figure out how to like find that balance. Right. And so, you know, you, you know what you got, right. I, I, I had a chance to ride, you know, I was, I would consider myself, like I got into mountain biking at the beginning of what I would consider modern mountain bike, right? Like yeah. when you look at the totally year 2000, yeah. you know, that's when you had Hayes disc brakes. That's when you had Marzaki Z14. That's when you had, you know, you had good, solid, parts. And if you took one of those bikes from back then, you know, I got a, a Turner uh, RFX, you know, and if, if I built that thing up today, like I guarantee you, it, it wouldn't be dog shit, right? Like, but some of those bikes from the nineties, the, the you know, they're riding drop bars, you know, they've got like, you know, elastomer suspension, like, so they were trying to figure that stuff out and they were doing the best they could. But I, I would argue that you could draw a line at the year 2000 and say like, that's the birth of what, of what we know as mountain biking. Um, and, and, you know, as far as technology and components and things like that like there really hasn't been any really giant crazy um you know leaps forward you know like the difference between disc brakes and v brakes is like you know uh, a monumental uh, you know the marzaki z1 versus uh the you know the rock shock sid was it wasn't even on the same planet right and so but so yeah we've we've been around we got to experience the b you know that stuff we were it was still on the tail end like you said like we still rode v brakes right like i remember i still have my old shimano carbon fiber v brake booster you know that you would strap yeah, on the one yeah it yeah man. work together so your yes yeah, it doesn't flex. Yeah, no one knows about that these days, dude. Yeah, man, I still have some of those old parts. (laughs) So you know, I got to experience that and experience you know the new stuff. And so, like, I have an appreciation for the new stuff that I honestly, if you didn't get a chance to ride that stuff, you just can't. You know, you don't. You have no idea how spoiled we are with uh, with bikes today, unless you try to freaking you know make it down some steep ass shit with a hundred millimeter long stem, flat bars, V brakes. You know, seventy one degree head jacked up exactly yeah. man we were charging we didn't know any yeah. better you know we were yeah. going for it so it's it was uh, good fun too but it you was, know what? man it's um because you kind of came i guess like 
mid to late 2000s, like the internet was just going crazy. And it was like, if it's not the Wild West now, it was, yeah. it was the wild, wild West then. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but man, 16 years of putting out content, that, that's a yeah. lot of content. It is, man. It's a lot of content. It's, uh, I will say, you know, over the last few years, I have done more, uh, you know, recycling, I guess, of, of past stuff. But the thing is, is, you know, when you've got hundreds, if not thousands of, of articles and blog posts and videos, and, you know, there's people who are, are, are getting a mountain biking every day, like they're new. And so the assumption that like, they've, they know this stuff already. And so and I get, you know, feedback from people like, man, yeah, I, I remember when you published that article a few years ago, but it was good to reread it and kind of get reminded of some of these points. So, uh, but I, I make a commitment to trying to get at least two to three uh, newsletters out to my, my email list. And anybody that's read my stuff, like if there's anything, thing, you know, some people can't take any uh, commercialism, like me just saying, hey, I've got a kettlebell program, it, consider that they get all turned off by it. Um, but for the most part, if there's anything, man, I, I get accused of giving away too much stuff. Like, I just want to help people. I, you know, that's what the newsletter is about. It really was about like, you know, what would I want? You know, what what kind of information really would have helped me when I was starting riding? Like, that was the whole point of Bike James and MTB Strength Training Systems was trying to create what I didn't have and what I knew would really benefit people. And so, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, like I said, it's been, it's been an interesting journey. Um, you know, I've definitely pissed off a lot of people along the way because I, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the the orthodoxy. It's funny, man. Like people take this stuff for granted, but man, when I came out and, and I was saying like, uh, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for a downhill racer to be doing endless road bike miles that, you know, high intensity interval training and things like that should, should have a place in it. And, you know, people thought I was just, you know, saying stuff to be controversial or just being a jerk or whatever. And and now it's way more accepted that like, yeah, you can't overdo that, that we, you know, you don't want to train a, a, a mountain biker, especially a downhill racer who's going to compete real intensely for three to five minutes, never sit down, right? Like the context that they compete in is completely different than what you're doing on a road bike, putting in base miles. And I'm not saying that base miles have zero value, but it's just when you start to look at, well, they have a lot more value for a road rider because, well, what's their sport? Well, they're spending a lot of time on a road bike sitting, you know what I mean? So I think I, I've, I've mentioned this before in, in an article about like the difference between, you know, general physical prep and specific physical prep and, and anything that doesn't take place on your mountain bike is general physical prep. As, as much as we, it, it pains me to say it as a, as a strength coach who wants to do sport specific training, everything you do in the gym is, is, is general. It's not specific. You have to be, you know, playing your sport to some level, uh, you know, if you're a mountain biker, you have to be on your mountain bike for it to truly be sport specific training. And so when you look at riding a road bike, that becomes general physical prep, but you look at a road rider, he does the exact same workout, but that's specific physical prep for him because that's his sport. And so, you know, that's why that stuff has a lot more value. Like, you know, one of the things I've said for years is that, man, if you're going to, if you are going to do base miles and you are going to, you have identified that you need to do that. No one says you have to ride a road bike ride your stinking mountain bike. Like that'll give you way more crossover, way more carryover than getting on a bike that's really light, weighs way less than your mountain bike, you know, is really stiff. The geometry is all different. You know, the context for your brain is so different on that. And so, um, but yeah, I forget exactly how I got off on that tangent, but yeah, just <laughs> oh, that, that's, that's, that's one of the things. Though. Yeah. One of the things that I've said, you know, that, that people kind of 
now is like, oh yeah, you know, duh. But you know, when I first was talking about this stuff, um, it, it really, you know, ruffled some feathers. So still does in some circles. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because the mountain bike world is, it's like pretty big. There are quite mm-hmm. a lot of people that mountain bike, but it's still a small world. And uh, it's pretty easy to ruffle some feathers because there's a lot of uh, people that have been in it for a long time and know a lot of things. And it's easy to ruffle feathers. And yeah, sometimes you gotta, right? You just gotta, ru- yeah. like the breaking stuff is ruffling a lot of feathers and yeah, uh, people get, get upset about that. And, you know, well, I'm like, well, I measured it. So, I mean... I'm telling you like this yeah. is this is actually what we're measuring and uh people still get a little bit upset and it's not that um we're coming into this trying to make people upset right we're not trying to no. necessarily ruffle some feathers we're just trying to to give uh, a new idea in something that has been so traditional for so long yeah and that that's yeah. mountain biking i guess yeah man and again people forget like our sport is so young to pretend that we know anything about it is hilarious you know even cycling as we know it like the safety cycle is is what 125 130 years old which is nothing you know when you consider how long people have been like running or you know i know there's other sports that are have have, you know a shorter history but um you know cycling in general hasn't been around that long and mountain biking specifically especially modern mountain biking like the days of john tomac showing up and winning downhill and cross country and you know those are gone right like it's so modern mountain biking is real young and so yeah the fact that people pretend like these things are set in stone so like why we can't still discuss some of them or you know see if there there are better ways to do things yeah except man people they get attached ideas um it it, it, it is hard man because you you learn something different like i mean i've had several kind of moments in my career where it really i had to like decide man am i gonna start ma- keep making excuses or am i gonna get curious about this situation like i remember uh i don't, I don't know if you made the exercise the the reach roll and lift right like when you're down on, on on the ground and you reach your arm as long as you can and then you turn your hand to the ceiling and then you try and lift your arm off the floor right and, and you're basically putting your arm in a position where if you if you can't use you know the the scapular retractors properly it's really hard to do and so uh first time i tried that exercise i couldn't lift my arm off the ground and i remember thinking like holy crap man like what's going on here like i thought i was pretty fit and and so and there was that knee-jerk reaction of like, man, this is stupid. Like, who needs to do this stupid move anyways, right? Like, people have won world championships without doing this stupid move. But uh, I was like, man, I, no, you know, like, there's there's something to get curious about here. And so, you know, that's one of the things that led me into, you know, more of the functional training stuff and understanding that that it's not just about how much weight you're lifting in the in the gym. It's like, how is your body functioning? Um, and and so, yeah, but there's several moments in my career where I've had to like go shit man like I'm teaching this wrong and and I've got to change how I'm doing it but it's hard right and that's that's how I know man like it's you know like the catalyst pedal my new pedal that I came out with like I know that there's a psychology there that I'm overcoming like most people would rather eat glass and admit that they were wrong and (laughs) so to to say and because it gets so attached to it right to say that you were wrong again the idea is like well only an idiot would be wrong. So therefore you're saying I'm an idiot. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like they no, personally- Yeah, I know what you mean. It just takes so it. much confidence, to- so much yeah. confidence to admit that you did something wrong. And actually I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I don't really want to say this, but you know, this is actually the way we should be doing it. That takes a yeah. lot of confidence. 
It does. Not many man. people can do that. It, yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, I, I will say over the last few years, one, just getting older and two, uh, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a beautiful way to understand the, uh, the, the idea of a meritocracy and that it doesn't matter how good you think your idea is. If it doesn't work on the mats, it, it doesn't work. And you're every day you're getting a chance to see what works, what doesn't work. You know, it, it's that that process that you talk about of of you know, oh, this was a mistake. I didn't do this right. How can I do it better? And then come back and try it. But you get it's this um, you know, really hyper speeded up version of it compared to how we go through our life. And so it's one of the reasons I think that, you know, jujitsu is such a great cross training tool for mountain biking in general, because you get a lot of grip strength, really great high tension cardio, but the, the mental stuff that you get from it, the, you know, one of my, my favorite, um, books is the, the book of five rings by, uh, Miyamoto Musashi, who's like the greatest samurai in, in you know, the history of Japan. And so one of his, uh, uh, in, in that book, one of the things he says is that you must understand the need for frustration in training. And most people can't to their discredit. And, you know, that's, but that, that frustration is part of like being able to admit, like I was wrong with something and how can I get better rather than making excuses for why this didn't work and why it's this person's fault or this thing's fault or my, I didn't have the right tire pressure or, or whatever, right? So um, yeah, that ability to, to critically think about what you're doing, look for better ways to do it and just always assume, man, there's gotta be a better way to what I'm doing. And just because you're questioning stuff, like I always question what I know. And, and the thing is, is like, I wanna know if I'm wrong, right? So like, I, I, I read, man, if, I, if there's something out there, like I'm looking for someone to disprove my theories on the pedal stroke and flat pedals and all that stuff. Like if there's something out there, like I'm actively looking for it because one, I want to know if I'm wrong. And two, that helps me develop a better understanding of my own uh, argument, right? Like if you, if you try to disprove yourself and you can't, it makes your argument even stronger rather than, well, I'm not even going to try to question whether I could be doing things better because I'm afraid that I might. And then I got to go through the whole mental thing of like, <laughs> am I an idiot and, and stuff like that. So is it um, a yeah, bit of that like um, imposter syndrome kind of going on? Yeah. Do you, there's do you get that so still? psychology, man. Oh, yeah. me? Yeah. I mean, I guess not. I mean, with myself personally, not, not necessarily uh, in the mountain biking world. I do in the jujitsu world. Just oh, right. You're constantly I mean, being you're more reminded. New to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it for eight years, but you're just always, you know, again, there's the, uh, you know, there's just always somebody better. Right. And, and it doesn't matter how good you are and you see it like everybody loses to, to somebody no matter how good they are. And so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, that one a little bit more. But yeah, with mountain biking, I've been doing this for so long and my results speak for themselves, you know. And, and like I said, like I feel really confident in, in my research. Like I just I that's just how I am. Like, you know, I don't like CrossFit. Uh, you know, a lot of their, you know, there's some good things from it, but you know, especially in their heyday when they were really just cranking out the injuries, uh, it was really easy to bash them, but it's like, man, looking at what they did, like I got some good ideas from them, you know, they were doing some things well. And so the idea is like, just because you, you think, you know, like, oh, what I'm doing is better in this way, isn't, isn't as good. Um, 
looking into the the arguments that you're that the opposition has. I mean, this is you know again like on a on a larger scale, this is a, a theme that we're facing in the world in general, right? Like, do we need to silence opposing views? Like, if if someone has an opposing view and you're really really sure that you're right, you know, is the best reaction to that to shut them up or is it to get curious and say, well, is there maybe something here and can me listening to this deepen my understanding of what I'm doing? And so, uh, so yeah, it really kind of comes more from that, but I'm kind of past that. There definitely was, man. There was a few years where I was waiting for that other shoe to drop and like, you know, the study, the definitive study that proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that clipless pedals were better than flats, you know, kept waiting for that to drop. But after, you know, 10 plus years of, uh, of waiting, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that what I think is going on is what's going on. And, and I think that it, uh, but yeah, anyways. Um, well, so. I mean, on the flat pedals line, I did a webinar on flat pedals again yes. uh, last week. And we talked about this on your podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a flat pedals rider, but I got faster with flat pedals and I brake less. So that was, int- I've been riding flats actually ever since we talked. So awesome. I, I remember I said, you know, I should start riding flats because I'm faster with them. And I have been riding them more um, just to, as a challenge to myself, just because I know I'm faster with them. So I might as well get yeah, used to them. That's totally it, man. You know that. And again, like that's exactly what I'm talking about. As, as sure as you were of your position before you tried flats and tested them, you still tested them. And, you know, like it, it was like with me, like first time I rode an oval chain ring, like I'll fully admit this, like I, I, a, a bike James reader sent one to me as a gift. He was like, man, you need to try one. As a guy who came up during biopace years, I was pretty sure that oval chain ring sucked. And so, but the guy sent it to me and I said to myself, you know, I can't really call myself objective if I don't at least try it. So I fully was going to try it just so I could say that I tried it and they still suck. That, that was my intention, hundred percent. I had zero positive uh, thoughts about that thing going into my first test. And then within a few pedal strokes, I'm like, wait a minute, this feels okay. And then I went for a ride and it was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, I don't even really notice it there. And then I go back to a regular chain ring and I'm like, oh man, like you can feel the choppiness in a round chain ring now. And so there was this whole process. And then again, I, you know, I've got the article on my website, you know, why I switched to an oval chain ring where I basically, you know, admitted like, man, I was wrong. You know, I had all these assumptions and and so, but yeah, I mean, that's what you did with flat pedals is is sure, sure as you were, like, I'm sure Somewhere in the back of your mind, you were like, man, I'm going to ride them just to say that I did. And I've got the data to prove that they still suck. You know, you know, like maybe basically, not like that. Yeah. yeah. That's basically yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but you being able to, to do that and then you, you, you took that and you got curious about the results. Um, again, you know, just, just really speaks towards, uh, how you view things and, and why you've come up with some, some pretty cool solutions to things like the, uh, like the break ace. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I also do is I do strength training, but I don't consider myself like a strength training expert. Right. And actually, so for, you know, all our listeners, they're mostly, they're, they're interested in the science because we mostly cover the science. They're mostly interested in, in endurance sports because that's kind of both of our backgrounds and obviously mountain biking as well. But we never have talked about specific strength workouts. Yeah. And I thought you could be the guy to kind of like get into that. And because, you know, I got to say like, you know, Will, who he couldn't make it today, but he has basically always said, no, I don't want to do strength training. Don't want to do strength training anymore. I'm like, look, man, I really think this is going to help you. I sent him over some workouts to do, but since I'm not like the authority 
on strength training, I'm not the guy to tell him. Yeah. He needs to hear it from someone else. So firstly, you know, I know you're MTB strength training and Mm -hmm. and that's, that's your company, but you also do jujitsu, which we can see Mm -hmm. a clear link to strengths. But what about doing strength training for other sports? What do you think about that before we get into your three favorite exercises? Yeah, man. No, that's a good question. And this is one of those um, age old debates, right? Like, and this is what's tough because you have research supporting both points of view. If you don't want to do strength training, you've got studies that you can point to that say strength training did nothing. And if you want to do it, you can point to studies that said that it helped. I guess just kind of peeling back a little bit. For me, one of my primary things is understanding the difference between fitness and health. And I'm I'm totally ripping off Dan John here. He's done a great job of explaining this. Dan John's a brilliant strength coach that if you haven't heard of him, you know, Google him and and check his stuff out. But he was one of the, the guys that really you know, made me understand the difference between these two things. So fitness is the ability to accomplish a task. It's task specific. So this is why the fitness that you need to ride a mountain bike is going to be different fitness that you need to swim or the difference, you know, so everybody kind of instinctually knows that I have to practice my sport. Even a triathlete is going to do all three. I have to build the fitness, the specific fitness for the task of riding and swimming and running. And, you know, just doing one isn't going to carry over. I got to, there's a specific fitness to each one. And on the other side of that is health. And that is just like, you know, the freedom from disease, right? This ease and disease, you know, like it's just your ability to function uh, well as a human being. And the people mistake the two, right? So they'll look at someone who's really fit and assume that they're really healthy. And, you know, we see this with people point to top cyclists in, in any sport, road riding, you know, triathlons, mountain biking. And they're like, oh, those guys are the top, man. They're the fittest. They must be super healthy. And what they don't see behind the scenes is the army of chiropractors and physical therapists and trainers and all of the, all of the things that they're doing to keep themselves held together. Because what you have to do to yourself to get really fit can oftentimes detract from your health. And so, you know, it's, it's understanding and balancing those two. So for me, unless you are earning a living from your performance in your sport, health should have some consideration in your uh, training program and, and how you're approaching stuff. Because, you know, one, if you're hurt, it doesn't matter how fit you are. And two, longevity is something that people consider, right? As you get older, you start to realize like, man, if I want to do this for a long time, I, you know, I have to consider that. Like my body's not going to hold up if I train like I'm a you know 24 year old training for the tour de France, like that doesn't translate over the long run. So, you know, for, so for me, strength training from a health standpoint is just a given, right? Any any sport, you're going to overuse certain movement patterns. You're going to overuse certain, uh, you know, metabolic pathways. Like you just, you're going to have certain things that you use a lot more than other things. And these are going to create both imbalances and not give you the fitness that you need in these other areas just to like get through life, right? And so, so having some sort of training to address that health side um, is important. And this is where, again, the argument comes in because it's like, well, strength training may not improve my performance. I think that it will, right? But if strength training improves your health and keeps you healthier, and so you have a few less overuse injuries, and so you're able to ride more consistently over the next five, 10 years, that has a performance enhancing benefit. 
So a lot of times these studies, you know, they have a very short term focus or six to eight weeks, maybe a few months. But man, if you draw it out over the long run, you will see a, a pattern like obviously you have your outliers, but the, the athletes that tend to last the longest are doing something besides just playing their sport you know, and, and, and strength training and things like that usually play a role in what helps them with their longevity. So that's just something to, for people to consider because yeah, in six weeks, you may not see this giant improvement in your, on the bike, but in, you know, six to eight years, I guarantee you, you're going to notice an improvement over someone who didn't do that over that same time. And so, uh, but you know, people don't care about six to eight years until that comes. So they want to know what about in six to eight weeks. And so, um, so for me, it's easy to get caught up in that though, to think about just the here and now, because we, you know, if we, a, a training plan lands in our training geeks or, you know, in our email, we're like, yep, this is what I got to do to be as best as I possibly can for that event coming up or something mm -hmm. like that. And yeah. it's easy to just get fully focused on just that and, you know, forget everything else. I'm just going to focus on this. And it's a, it's an easy thing to fall into. Um, But, you know, for me, I, I kind of took a step back on what I've been doing for the last few weeks with this Kickstarter because it, it's been insane. Been, yeah. you know, 12 to 15 to 16 hours sitting in front of the computer just getting getting stuff done right there's just yeah. so many things that have to be done and then you know if i don't make a small amount of time to lift some weights or something like that or you know even jump on swift i might get to the end of the week and be like you know i didn't even lift my arm over my head in 10 days yeah so for my longevity you know then i you know go ahead and i lift my arm over my head i'm like oh <laughs> yeah I, I need to do that more and then okay how would this be in five years if i never lifted my arm over my head Ooh, like yeah and if if we're stuck in a training plan and let's say it's just just cycling. We're never going to lift our arms over our head. So if we have a no. desk job and then we we get on our bikes, get on Zwift, or we, even if we get out on the trails, we're not going to lift our arms over our head right. unless we yeah. make ourselves do it. So if we don't add that into our six to eight week plan, we don't add that into our six to eight year plan. I think we're going to end up in trouble in six to eight years yeah. if we're not doing that. Yeah. So I think it's really, it's important that we kind of zoom out. And I do this with all my athletes, even if they're road cyclists, zoom out. Okay, we're going to do at least some strength training because otherwise I don't want to be responsible for this, the, for what's going to happen in the future negatively, yeah. right? So I, I yeah. want to help you be better in the future. That's my job. Yep. So, I agree with that 100%, man. Yeah. We, you know, we, we have a responsibility to our clients to, to set them up for success, not just, you know, six weeks down the road, but like you said, and that's, that's one of the things that always, you know, you see these, uh, you know, just come from the fitness world, right? And you, and you see it everywhere. You get these coaches and they're these superstar coaches, right? And, you know, oh man, they produce such great results. And, and my favorites are always the collegiate, the ones that work with college athletes. And I'm like, man, you got those kids for two years. You have no idea the consequences of what you did to them for two years is. And, it, you know, so not having the ability, and that's one of the things, like if you having the chance, I'm sure you've experienced this, being able to work with athletes for an extended period of time really changes your perspective on things. And if you're, you know, just in the six to eight week model is great. But like I said, when you're working with someone for a year or two years, you start to realize like, man, I've got to, you know, keep them, I got to keep the wheels on this thing while I'm trying to get it further down the road. And, you know, you always, I, I there's two kinds of clients. I'm sure you probably found this too. Like the, there's the ones that need the kick in the ass, right? Like you need to work harder. Come on, man, you can do it. And then there's the other kind, which is way more common, which is the, the pat on the back. And like, Hey buddy, it's okay. Like, you've done enough and, you know, uh, keeping some of the, you know, recovery and some of these other long-term things in mind is okay because, you know, we get brought up in this more is better and no pain, no gain and all this stuff. And so 
trying to temper that with uh, hard driving athletes is, you know, half the job, I think, of a, mm. of a responsible coach. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds sometimes, like you're... sometimes I get athletes that are, you know, part of the job is make sure that they can keep keep up with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you prescribe too much, that doesn't fit with their life. You're not doing your job right. So mm-hmm. I need to then zoom out. Right. Everyone's different. I need to zoom out like, OK, well, we can't fit that. We need to totally change this so that you can fit it in. And if I'm constantly building in something that's unachievable for you, that's a bad yes. feeling. That is yep. a real. That's like one of the worst feelings you can do is to not hit a target, especially oh, when you're dude. working with someone to help you hit targets. So yeah. then it's about stripping it back even more. And look, like, look, it's OK. We can do less. I want you to be able to hit what you can, not yes. constantly stretch yourself because you got a busy life. You got um, stresses coming at you from every which way. I want you to be able to enjoy this and stick with it. And I want you to get better, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's huge, man. Understanding where you're, where someone's coming from. Like we were talking a little bit before we started the podcast and like one of the biggest mistakes I made early on was writing strength training programs for fellow strength training freaks like I was. And, you know, not understanding that a lot of cyclists have never even been in the gym. So to like have this, you know, you know, program with, you know, I don't know, just again, you got the, you got your core circuit and you got your focus circuit and we're, and we're doing, you know, drop sets and, you know, all this, all this stuff that really is not that complicated once you understand it, but it can blow people's minds. And then, like you said, you're giving them this program and man, this is the best program in the world. It's based on all the best science. And this is what all the top people are doing. But if they look at it and, and they don't, understand like what a set and a rep is or like how to really perform the exercises and and so they don't feel confident they don't feel good and so yeah the 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 saying i came up with over the years is there's optimal and then there's reality and my job is to help you optimize your reality like that's that's really what it's about like we can't force something on you that's not going to fit into your reality so how do we optimize what you you can actually do and so that's really informed a lot of my strength training philosophy as far as like keeping it simple because you do want to set people up for success and so again like you know cyclists you know again i came at it a little bit backwards i i I was a big time uh strength training guy before i got into mountain biking and you know that's like i said i got into a little bit backwards most people are cyclists you know they they got into cycling because they like cycling and and but and strength training wasn't their thing and so they they're not as into strength training and so how do we make strength training palatable for cyclists and i think this is one of the things that's made strength training uh less popular among cyclists is this idea that like oh no we've got to you know, it has to be this like, you know, complicated functional training program or nothing. And you know, like you're, you know, you're telling your clients like, man, I don't care. What can you do? I don't care if it's one set of 10 bodyweight squats. I don't care. Where do we start? If that's what you can do. That's what you can do. We start there and then we build from there. And, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, um, you know, like I said, really informed a lot of my stuff, but the, you know, kind of getting into like some of the more specific stuff, like one of the, the things that I've really been getting into lately with the strength training side is isometric exercises and isometrics are, you know, one of these things that there's a lot of science, man. You talk about something that has some, some science behind it. Like isometrics have been studied for a long time and they have really impressive science behind them as far as their ability to improve, you know, strength and do it safely and also, uh, improve your, uh, you know, one of the studies found that it actually increased the number of oxidative enzymes in the muscle. So it can improve your cardio as well, which makes sense. If you think about it, you're, you know, we get enamored with movement 
right? Like we, it, it, how does something look? And what we forget is like, well, movement is secondary to tension, right? Tension creates movement. So everything that we're doing is about creating and controlling tension. And if we do it in the right way, then we're going to produce this beautiful movement. But it's that tension that we're really, uh, you know, really working. And so, you know, people look at the movement stuff and they're like, okay, this is one way to train that tension. And what I've found is that the isometrics are a, a better way. Like the, the key moment for me, I was at this, uh, this workshop by a guy named Steve Maxwell, who old time kettlebell guy, old time jujitsu guys. I mean, he's really, you know, a pretty well-known guy in the, in the fitness field, but he was talking about isometrics at this workshop I went to. And I was like, man, this is crap. This is another one of those aha like moments where I had to eat crow, man. I really had to do a 180 on what I thought I knew about strength training because I'm literally sitting here watching this guy go, God, are you isometrics? I paid how much money to come here and listen to this dude talk to me about isometrics. And he said something that totally changed my view on it. He said, the skill of creating tension is one thing. The skill of applying that tension to a movement is another thing. And that's where I was like, oh, because Remember getting back to the general and the physical prep idea, right? So what we want to do is we want to improve our ability to create tension in a specific way on our bikes. So it's the ability to apply tension to the movement. And, and what we're doing is we do strength training, right? Like a deadlift isn't going to help you get better at, on your bike, not directly, right? Like the context for it's very different. So what are we doing there, right? Well, there's this underlying tension skill, the, the hip hinge tension skill. And, and what we're doing is we're hoping that by working on one specific uh, um, variation of that tension skill, one, one specific expression of that tension skill, the deadlift, that we're going to improve the underlying tension skill as well. And then when we come over and we do our sport, our, that, that, that higher basic uh, you know, tension skill of uh, creating tension is going to help us create more tension in the specific application on our bike. Right. Like that, that's, that's how you get crossover from the gym to your sport because there's an underlying tension skill that has all these different expressions. And so by working on one, we're hoping to raise that so that we can have it improve the other. Does that, does that make sense? Yep. So what the aha moment for me was is that, oh, isometrics allow you to work directly on the tension skill itself. Right. So now we're taking movement out of the equation. And we're working on just that underlying tension skill. And then that, then we can go and apply it however we want. So if we want to go ride our bikes, we want to go do jujitsu, you want to go play with your kids. But like now you doing your sport is you training your body, how the specific way that you want it to use this tension that is, you know, sport specific training. And so the, so using the isometrics allow you to bypass the movement part of training, which is the most dangerous part of training, right? Like when you are moving, you have momentum and you have friction. Those two things, if they get out of control, that's what creates muscle soreness, injuries, you know, things like that. And so if you take the movement out of the equation and now you're just creating tension without having to control momentum, without having to can, you know, worry about friction of the myofibrils, you know, going over each other and all that stuff, then you can train to a really high level of tension safely. And so, uh, you know, like the one set to failure, we know one set to failure works, right? Like there's studies that show one set to failure works, but we also know that as you get stronger, one set to failure starts to get dangerous, oh, right? Yeah. Like, 
when you can deadlift 100 pounds, one set to failure is no big deal. When you can deadlift 400 pounds, the odds of severe injury are much higher. So how do you continue to train those tension skills when your strength in a specific movement is so high that you're starting to risk injury with that, especially if that's not your sport, right? Like you don't get paid for how much you deadlift, who cares? It's a secondary <laughs> thing, right? So, so for me, you know, the last three years, I've been getting into the isometrics and, and done a lot of research and, you know, kind of created my own isometric training system uh, where, you know, the, the two types of isometrics that you have are like um, you're overcoming, right? Like you're pushing into something that won't move. Like if you're pushing into a wall, like that wall is not going to move, right? But then you have uh, the other one, which is um, resisting where, you know, say you're you're laying down on a bench and you're trying to hold a weight at, you know, halfway between up and down, right? And just hold it there. So now the weight's trying to push down into you and you're having to resist that. So you've got pushing into something that won't move. And then you've got resisting something that's trying to make you move. And so by combining these two types of isometrics, you get the best of both worlds. The the overcoming allow you to create super high levels of tension, right? Like when you're pushing into like, I, I like to use a, a jujitsu belt. It's a really effective training tool. And so, you know, you get it strapped around your back and you're, you're, you're doing like a chest press, man, you can press into that thing as hard as you want and you're not going to break it and it's perfectly safe. So, you know, you can go 10 seconds, max effort and build super high levels of tension with safely, right? So now you're creating higher levels of tension and then I can do the same movement. I can take like one of those big resistance bands like you use for pull-up assist or, um, you know, and, and, you know, same thing, get around my back and now I've got the band and it's trying to pull me back into my start position, but I'm resisting. So I'll hold that for a long period of time and that helps with your efficiency. Like you can literally feel the wrong muscles get tired and your body trying to figure out how do I hold myself more efficiently in this position? Because if this idiot's going to keep putting me in this position, I've got to figure out because your whole body, it wants to conserve energy, right? So if, if you're in an inefficient position, but you're only there for a very short period of time, your body's not stimulated to change. And so like the bottom of a squat's a perfect example. You find people who can squat well, but you tell them to get down to the bottom of the squat and hold it for 60 seconds. And it is really, really tough for them to do because the truth is, is they're not very efficient in that bottom position. It's just, they're there for so little time. They're able to overcome their inefficiencies, but you get to where you can hold a rock solid, you know, squat uh, for 60 to 90 seconds. I guarantee you, you're going to feel different. Your body's literally going to change how it holds its in that position as it figures out how do I become more efficient here? How do I expend less energy to hold this position? And so, you know, you, you become more efficient and you improve your ability to create tension. Like that is, that's, that's how you get stronger. Anytime you get stronger at anything, it's because you either became more efficient at it or you're able to produce more tension while doing it. Those are the things that improve your strength. And so isometrics allow you to basically hack straight into that and bypass the movement part of it, which is where, you know, it takes a lot of time, right? Like an isometric workout will take you like 20 minutes. It sounds like an infomercial, but 20 minutes twice a week. You know, again, it, I, I, it sounds silly to say, I feel like, you know, people are going to like, whatever, dude, you're trying to sell me something. It's like, no, man, you can do, you don't have to buy my program, right? Like you can do isometrics stuff. Like we were going to talk about some of my favorite exercises. Like, you know, one of my, the, the my three favorite exercises, I've got a, uh, a, a pod or a, a video I did on it, building advanced MTB core strength is the name of it. So people can go and look at the, the video of these moves, but my three moves for, for mountain bikers, especially, but cyclists in general, um, is a, a push up hold. So the the bottom of your push up, right? Like a lot of people are familiar with the top, 
you know, like a high plank, but come down to where you're just, you know, a few inches off the floor and hold that position. Whole new world, right? That is super hard, but man, that is a very uh, effective and valuable exercise for cyclists to, because keeping your shoulders packed down, keeping your, your, your core in a good, strong position, like those are really important things for us um, on the bike. And so that exercise there forces that in there. Uh, the other one I like is a, a lunge. So the bottom of your lunge, just get into a, a lunge, go to the bottom and stop with your knee and inch or two off the floor and hold that position for, you know, 60 to 90 seconds. And again, you'll find left to right asymmetries, find all sorts of stuff, but that lunge pattern, that is standing pedaling. Like that is the, that is the, the core movement pattern that you apply to standing pedaling. And a lot of riders struggle with standing pedaling. They're weak with standing pedaling. And so they rely too much on seated pedaling and that lunge, uh, isometric hold will get you really strong with your standing pedaling, uh, as well. And then the last one that I like to do is a, uh, um, I guess you'd call it like warrior three or whatever in yoga, but it's basically like a single leg uh, deadlift, single leg RDL. Um, and so I'm, I'm going into my hip hinge position on one leg. And then I like to, you know, reach my hands out long and I'm trying to get as much length between my fingertips and my heel as possible while holding that position again, looking for 60 to 90 seconds. And so, you know, between those three exercises, you've got your horizontal pushing and pulling, which is your ability to move through your cockpit with your upper body effectively and not compromise shoulder and upper body position. You've got the lunge, which is your standing pedaling pattern. And then you've got that single leg RDL, which is the hip hinge, which is that ability to move through your, your cockpit effectively and moving from the hips instead of the lower back. So those are three of your, your, your core movement patterns that you need on the bike in any cycling discipline. Uh, and those three exercises there uh, will get you really strong with them and they're free to do. Takes you, I mean, you could do this like in 10 minutes or less, right? So again, talking about trying to make things um, accessible for riders, I, th I think that isometrics, you know, besides being really effective, make strength training more accessible to cyclists because it is easy to do. You can just do it at home. It doesn't take a lot of time and equipment. And so a lot of those excuses are out the door. So I know that was a really long uh, uh, tangent there, man. I appreciate you, uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, indulging me there. But no, um, I think it's cool. I'm not sure if you saw the steam coming out of my brain that whole time. But um, one of the things that I, I taught at the university was graduate level uh, muscle mechanics, which is like mm. one of the coolest things because I had no idea anything about it. But you know, it was all about like how the muscles create tension. And mm -hmm. then you mentioned friction. I was like, I remembered, ah, yes, we talked about friction as well. And uh, one of the, so isometric for people that didn't catch on, you're not moving. Yes, right? it's, it's, sorry, yeah. the, you're creating a lot of tension uh, without changing the length of the muscle. Yep. And if there's this thing called the force velocity curve and isometric uh, tension is kind of in the middle and you can create a lot more tension doing an isometric movement than you can doing um, a concentric movement, like coming up from a squat. Yep. Um, so you can create a lot of tension uh, isometrically. And with as cyclists, especially, we get really good at going in circles, going in circles, going in circles, pushing down, going up, pushing down, going up. And we're, we're really good at being able to kind of conserve that momentum. And the reason is, is because these muscle fibers kind of don't detach. So you come down, muscle fibers are still attached, still attached, and they're still attached able to create lots of tension to come back up. Mm -hmm. But when we do something isometrically, those muscle fibers that are attached to create tension, they start to fatigue. And the only way to be able to continue to hold that tension is to create new attachments mm -hmm. without move. And that's hard. 
and you're going to get sore. But also, without coming down too low or coming up too fast or hurting your back or something like that, because you're not moving, it is pretty safe. Yeah. And you also don't need to do a lot of it. No, so, no. Like one, one set to you know, to failure, you know, a form is, is pretty much all you need. So yeah, no, man, that's, uh, the, and, and again, like anything else, when people first do it, um, it, you will get sore, but it is, it's a different kind of soreness than what you get from like, if you did a, a heavy deadlift workout versus, you know, doing, um, you know, some isometric exercises for your legs, you know, the, the soreness is different because the, the, the cause of the soreness is different and eventually your body adapts so that, cause that's one of the things that I really like about isometrics is I don't get anywhere near as sore and beat up from doing isometrics as I do from traditional strength training. And so like I, I literally, we have a class that we do on Saturdays before jujitsu. So we'll do, uh, some isometrics and some mobility work, and then we'll train, jujitsu. And if I was to be doing any sort of traditional workout, I wouldn't be able to do it because I would be tired and sore from the workout. And the fact that I can go as hard as I can on those isometrics and within 30 minutes be totally recovered, fresh, and not even really feel it, um, again, makes isometrics, uh, I think, more accessible, especially to cyclists, because, you know, that's one of the things, man, who wants to be on your bike and be really sore? That That's where riders really start to have a tough time buying into strength training being effective for them is because they're, they're sitting there and they're sore and they're like, dude, I know I'm not better because I'm so sore. And so now I've got to put up with this soreness and people are telling me that, you know, oh, eventually it'll go away and eventually it'll get, you, you'll be better. But if I just well, stop, people training, stop before that, yeah, they're like, yeah, exactly. I'm too sore, you know, forget it. Yep. Like exactly. I've been doing this for three weeks. I'm still sore. I'm just, yep. I'm just going to ride. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that, that's a tough sell. And so again, I think that isometrics have a real uh, big appeal to um, athletes that are very sensitive to soreness in their, you know, their, uh, um, you know, in their sport, you know, it affects their sport negatively. And so some, some people can get away with it more than others. But, uh, I mean, for me, man, especially mountain biking, you know, your, your ability to flow is such a fleeting thing and anything that kind of stands in the way of that is, uh, um, problematic. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to create these microscopic movements in in the moment, you know, to keep yourself balanced on this dangerous terrain. And and man, the last thing you need is is some some soreness or stiffness like uh, affecting that. And so again, that was one of my big um, you know kind of things that I did wrong early on was not realizing that. And you know, for me, I would just kind of deal with it. But you know, a lot of people, uh, rightfully so, you know, are, are not as into it. So, um, but finding methods that don't. But yeah, that's another reason I'm a big big fan of the isometrics for for that but i do do movement based stuff you know i split things up into two categories i've got my isometrics and that's my strength train right so if we're talking about strength which is your ability to produce more tension and do it more efficiently like that's that's strength and then the yeah i've got my movement based stuff and this is you know, cause I like to do deadlifts. I like to do these exercises, but I don't do them to get stronger, right? So when I do my deadlifts, I'm not trying to go heavy because I've already done my isometrics. So I don't need to worry about going heavy to get stronger. And so I look at my movement-based workouts more like skill training, right? Like I'm working on the skill of this movement and skill training takes place best at like 60 to 80% effort level, right? When you get to 90, 100%, you're not learning, you're just surviving. And so it, that this, approach 
keeps the the intensity level lower for my movement based stuff. So when I do do it, I'm much less sore and much less beat up from that because I'm not in there pushing myself hard trying to get stronger. But I do like to get in there and, and you know move the weights and and you know uh, so like I said, like I don't. But if I got to cut something out, like if I'm super busy, it's the movement based stuff that gets cut. So it's, I'll be doing isometrics and then you know doing my stuff, riding my bike, doing jujitsu. Cause that's the last thing to get cut is what I want to play. Right. Yeah, like totally. I'm not going to cut out one of those things so I can do a workout. Like it's crazy talk. So, yeah. you know, but, um, yeah, so that's, you know, kind of how I've been approaching it for the last few years and it's been, uh, been working really well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I like that approach and I definitely agree. And, you know, we, we always have to remember, like we want to get better, but we also want to have fun and we yeah. want to enjoy our sport. And I think strength, strength training can help us do both. And I think we, we got to do it right though and, uh, not get too crazy. And I don't think strength training has to be crazy. And I don't think you need to be totally ruined every time you do it to, no. to have a really positive effect. And, and yeah. if we take that approach, we can keep having fun, we can keep getting better, and we can just feel better. And I think that's really important. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Like having fun is really what it's all about. And so for some people, man, like I got one of my uh, uh, best buddies um, that I do jujitsu with, man, you know, we laugh at him. He's he's a, little bit, a bit of a masochist. So for him, fun is pain, right? And so there are those people out there that that's yeah. what they like. But the problem is, is they tend to become trainers and coaches. <laughs> Yeah. And then they don't understand, like, what do you mean you don't enjoy pain uh, on the same level I do? And so, uh, but yeah, man, for, for most people, we're just, we're doing this for fun and and we got lives, we got other things we want to do. Uh, you know, that was another big thing that, man, being, you know, I, I, you know, 40 and turning 46 in December. So I'm 45 now. And God, I, I feel like an asshole looking back at how 20 year old James looked at my 40 and 50 year old clients, uh, back then, you know, you just, what do you mean you're sore and tired? Like you just, you don't understand, uh, how it, it, it feels to be in those shoes. And so, yeah, but, uh, yeah, we just want to have fun, man. That's what people want to do and, and, uh, not make it too complicated. So, but people like to make things complicated. <laughs> That's right. You guys like you and I will keep it simple and we'll keep it fun and uh, we'll keep people in it for a long time. I think yeah, that's what we both yeah. want. I think yeah. that's the, the best uh, best approach for sure. Yeah, cool. Well, that's great, James. I think um, I think there's a lot in there. I think people are going to take away a lot on that. This is um, this is a pretty good deep dive on strength training. And yeah. uh, it's something we don't really cover a lot. But, you know, for me, especially, I think it's really important stuff. And it was great to have you on to be able to talk about this. Yeah, man. No, my pleasure. Like I said, I know it's uh, definitely a different uh, view on things. But I will remind people that when I talked about kettlebell swings for mountain biking, everybody thought I was crazy. So, you know, it's... Uh, um, the trying, I'm constantly trying to figure out the best way to do this stuff. And from my experience, like this is that, that evolution, um, you know, of that. And so I know, like I said, people are going to hear this and be like, dude, whatever, but I encourage you, man, go, you can go to my site, check out a bunch of isometric, uh, articles. I've got a free, uh, workout isometric workout you can sign up for. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of information and stuff out there on it, but, uh, I'd encourage you to try it and, and, and judge for yourself, just like with the flat pedal thing, right? Like no matter how sure you are that I am so full of crap and isometrics have no value whatsoever, try it, see what happens. And uh, if it still sucks, then you can say that I tried it and it still sucks and you're truly objective. Otherwise you're, you're, uh, you don't really know if it is or not. You're just, you know, going with what you think, you know, so.
but um yeah man no, i appreciate the the opportunity to share that because it's uh um like i said it's not something i get a chance to talk about with a lot of people and so i appreciate it yeah cool so where where can people find you then james where's the best place for them to find you bikejames.com you can go cool. there and find all the stuff uh you know i mean i'm on instagram and facebook and stuff but it's you know uh bikejames.com is the best place to go and check out. And like I say, you can sign up for the newsletter there, the infamous newsletter that's been going for 16 years and uh, send out, you know, good training stuff uh, every week. And when you sign up, you get a free isometric workout to try out. And yeah, I mean, that's, you know, People can hit me up at james at bikejames.com. I'm always happy to help. I'm you know available for for coaching as well. Uh, I do a lot of stuff. I mean, I've been getting into like breath work lately. I've been doing like the Wim Hof method for the last uh, year or so, and seen some really really interesting stuff from that. And so you know that and uh, yeah, so just a bunch of interesting things that I've been getting into, man. The steel mace training. But yeah, you guys can find out more at bikejames.com and, and follow along with my uh, my journeys. Yeah, cool. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Matt. I really appreciate the, the opportunity. Cool. We'll have those links in the show notes and we'll see you soon. All right. <laughs>